Welcome back to NGNF News, everybody. We are on our latest global developments for this week. Is this the fifth one or fourth episode? Count after. Yeah, I can. I keep losing count <laughs> of the episodes. Um, just make sure to follow us on our social medias at ngf.news for our Instagram and ngf underscore news for Twitter and uh, TikTok. We got some good uh, episode uh, things to talk about today. Yep. So for today's latest global developments, we are going to talk about the UK and the EU reaching the Northern Ireland deal. And um, current political problems in the Philippines. This one, the second topic was a request from a viewer um, because there's not enough light uh, on this issue. And it's pretty, as we were doing our research, Josh and I, we were just shocked by how terrible yeah. um, the political problems in the Philippines are. Lots of problems. Yeah. So before we get to there, let's start with the UK and the EU reaching the Northern Ireland deal. This is pretty big. Um, the UK and the EU reached a trade deal after months of talk over post-Brexit trade rules for Northern Ireland. Trade between Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland was possible before Brexit, since both were in the EU and had similar trade rules. Um, the UK leaving the EU led out to border uh, led to new border checks and additional paperwork for a lot of different goods coming in and out of the UK. The Northern Ireland land border is a pretty sensitive subject because of how troubled their past is. Adding additional checks on goods and imports and export controls might lead to instability in the region. Yeah, no, it's it was definitely a um, breakthrough for the UK um, post-Brexit. Uh, just to sh talk about what was basically going through, it was just new lanes for trade routes for uh, cargo ships. Yep. Um, the green ones are products going to Northern Ireland. That come from the EU through the UK, which could be things like medicine and regular goods. And then red ones are for products that are going from the UK to the Republic of Ireland. So through that, the mainland EU to the UK yeah. to the so Republic all, of Ireland. So the red lane is just all um, EU custom Yeah, stuff. EU custom stuff, but going through the UK first. And then the next one is just, or the first one with Northern Ireland is just EU goods going through the UK Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Limited so, checks. Yeah. It's just, I think, what is it? Just like stop and go, just like minimal paperwork. Yeah, they're trying to just make it easier. I think the UK is finally seeing the struggle that they're having post-Brexit and realizing that they need to create more more avenues um, for Northern Ireland, especially, because mm -hmm. Northern Ireland is pretty split on staying with the UK in the Brexit deal, but also wanting to leave the uk right to stay in the eu and that was a big big thing in 2016 17 18 and 19 until covid happened and then they were like all right well now now we gotta put this on hold right but this is a this is groundbreaking and i think the, it'll be beneficial to the uk but it will be indeed um i'm just gonna go back to how this kind of issue with the uh, northern Ireland started uh, so back in 2021, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson introduced the North Northern Ireland Protocol to the EU. Um, this protocol caused inspections and document checks at Northern Ireland's border. Unionist parties in Northern Ireland believe that this created a border between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. So with the creation of the Windsor Framework, which is what Josh was mentioning, the creation of the Green Lane and the Red Lane, yeah. um, it avoids a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, ensures the integrity of EU single market for goods, and overall unfettered access for Northern Ireland goods um, for the Great, Bar uh, Great Britain market and inclusion of Northern Ireland goods in free trade agreements. 
Um, bans on certain products would also be removed, and Northern Ireland does not have to follow EU rules on VAT, which is tax, <laughs> for example. So this was a fantastic idea. I mean, hopefully they can continue this idea of green lane and red lane goods between yeah. Brexit and EU countries because we can see the the global implicate the uh, the UK's economic implications of leaving Brexit, yeah. and the more paperwork and the struggle to uh, to transfer goods and services between the UK and the EU has proved problematic for the UK, and they will be the only uh, G7 country where GDP is not going to be positive. So, what what do you think that means though for the UK? Because let's let's say that this is one of the start of reviving all their trade deals that they previously had with the EU, um, because they're a part of the EU now. This is one of the steps and there's going to be more let's say they accomplish all those steps do you think that the the brexiters are going to prove they're going to prove the um the people who want to stay in the eu wrong mm -hmm. or do you think that their economy is not going to benefit from this as much and that the brexiters are going to be the ones receiving the backlash um so i believe the brexiters are going to see the positive implications from this there's only positive implications when it comes to free trade. I mean, it's just easier for both businesses in and out of the country um, that is receiving and sending out. So the Brexiters, you have to give it some time, right? This is just brand new and for it to be implemented. And then when data is collected on how well the green and red lane works, I mean, even the red lane is going to be problematic just to send to get stuff into the UK, Northern Ireland, then to the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. It's just going to cause a lot of delays, but they're going to see the benefits of the green lane. And I believe that Brexiters are just going to reverse their choice. Um, will they rejoin the EU? I don't know, but I do believe that this is going to pave the way for more freer trade between um, the UK um, and the EU. Yeah. That's I, my two cents. Yeah. It's a good start for sure for the UK. Um, I don't know if it's going to necessarily, they're going to keep going because I think the UK is going to keep asking for deals and trying to come up with new trade deals. And then the EU is going to be like, well, why don't you just come back? <laughs> and then, then yeah. maybe like five years down the line, they'll reconsider it and join, join back in the EU. But um, let's hypothetically say that they do keep having these free trade deals and it keeps going and keeps going and the UK economy keeps getting better. GDP increases. Um, I mean, the Brexiters are going to just, there's, there might not be an opposition to joining the EU because, I mean, let's face it, they've been out of the EU for seven years and they haven't had much of a problem until COVID and then the Ukraine. And now it's a really bad problem yep. because they're so isolated from trade agreements. But if everything comes back and the trade agreements come up, then they don't need to join the EU anymore. And then... There's going to be no incentive for England and the UK to come back, which can be bad for the EU as well because they're the sixth largest economy in the world, 67 million people, 1.8 something GDP. It's a, big, it's a right. big part of the EU or was a big part of the EU. Yeah, and I believe that the UK, for as long as the Conservative Party is in, I think they're going to try to see to creating free trade deals but without being in the EU. So they're kind of just in a situation where they're in the EU light yeah. program. They want to deal, they want that free free trade, but they don't want to deal with the implications of the EU, such as like dealing with the migration crisis, right? Back in 2015, which is part of the, one of the major reasons why they left. So 
they kind of want the economic benefits of being a part of the EU, but don't want the full responsibility that comes with being a part yeah. of the European Union. They want full control of their policy, which is exactly why they left in the first place. Yep. And and if, if you're an American, you can understand that because we have full control of our policy. But the difference between them is we have a $23 trillion economy. They have a $1.8 trillion economy. We have the power to influence. Their power to influence alone is not the same as it used to be with the EU. Right. So here's the, the next question I have. What do you think if in three years from now? The, the economy does not rebound, even with increased trade deals. If you're in the United States, the UK is one of your biggest allies. What do you do to to them? You'd say, do we try to not pressure them to go back into EU? And I'm putting quotes on that. You guys can't see that. But pressure them to join back the, in the, the, uh, into the EU? Or do we try to, you know, host our own set of agreements to try and with their economy to be rebuilt outside of the EU. So I believe this entirely depends on what party the next administration is. And if the UK is a strategic ally economically and militarily, they are they are perfect for our Atlantic Ocean um, defense initiative, right? Yeah. If the administration if the next administration is Republican, they are going to ensure that the UK probably doesn't join the EU but engages in economic partnerships as much as we as much as the u.s is like uk what are you doing what the hell like why are you such in a terrible position we're still going to support them economically maybe we'll have our own like green lane thing between the u.s and the uk if a um republican administration is next if it were to be a democratic administration um i believe that we will have the U.S. would probably show the U.K. the benefits of being in an economic union. I think that answer entirely depends on the next administration. But regardless of what administration um, goes in next, I believe that the U.S. might show the U.K. the benefits of free trade again. Yeah. And there might be, who knows, maybe in the future there could be a, a free trade agreement between U.S., U.K. and EU, similar to how we have the USMCA. So. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. No, that's interesting. Because I actually just thought about it because, well, Brexit actually started March 2019 when they officially withdrew from the EU. October 16, 2018, President Trump, um, the United States uh, trade representatives, tried to come up with a trade deal. They started negotiations on March 20 or September 2020, but there's not been any trade deal that's been struck with the United States and the UK. And so what that also tells me is that economically there could be some setbacks mm -hmm. because of the post-Brexit and what's going on in Ukraine. But also the reason why they're in the negatives is because they don't have a single trade deal. I mean, this has got to be the first one that they've got. This is the first one they've gotten with the, the so, EU yeah, since they've left. I'm, I'm pretty I think so, yeah. stand corrected. Um, but they don't have one with the United States either, which is the one of the EU's largest trading partners, which is interesting enough because there actually is no trade deal with the EU either for the United States, right. which is interesting. So, I mean, let's let's say 2023 this year, President Biden gets this trade agreement. I mean, we could see 2023 and 2024 forecasts for the UK could be blossoming. Right. 
And because if you, if you look at the rest of some of the biggest countries in the world, Germany, for example, in the EU, 0.3% GDP growth. I mean, that's not much more than Russia at the moment. Right. And so maybe, maybe it's just a lull for the United Kingdom, you know, post-Brexit war in Ukraine. Maybe they'll come back. Maybe they won't need the EU. And even if the United States strikes these trade agreements, they can change a lot. So, Yeah, that's actually yeah. a very fair point. Um, yeah, maybe we might see, um, like I said before, a US-UK uh, EU trade trade agreement where it's just like one big just line of like US-UK and the EU shipping routes where it's just completely free and the next... Maybe they might see the uh, benefit from this green lane, and the, the UK would probably just expand on this uh, Windsor framework, yeah, and try to include many more countries into it. Who knows? Does the G four have a trade agreement, or is that just a security pact? Sorry, what was it? The G four with Australia, England, United States, and I, I believe, believe that's just yeah. a military pact. Uh, I yeah. don't think that would be pretty cool though if they expanded to economic partnership as well. But, oh no, sorry. What that's the G four nations compromising of Brazil, Germany, India, and Japan. What's the one with the US? I Australia? know exactly what you're talking about. The Australia, US, and UK um, military agreement. Yeah, Australia, India, UK military launched a security pact. I mean, this was 2015, so this is right before Trump. Right after, but there was a Oculus, Oculus, yeah, Oculus, yeah, yeah. That's just a military agreement, but that's pretty cool if that expanded beyond a military to a trade. agreement to a trade agreement. That would also benefit UK, and that could be their second um, trade deal. Yeah, and it can benefit the Australians too. Oh, absolutely, who yeah. are going through some tough times. But yeah, yeah, that it, it would be interesting to see if the UK uses its security partners who start. Coming in with trade deals. Um, for 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 me, hopefully, I hope they don't start striking deals with China because right now the UK so. the UK is no. incredibly vulnerable. And yeah, I guess I agree. I don't think they would, but the, it, it's two years time from now, and they they're still not growing. They can become desperate. Um, but also, two years from now, China could be going into a complete economic shutdown. They are in shambles too. But if, if the UK were to go into shambles and struggle. It would just be a repeat of World War Two where the where was it? World War World War One, sorry. Where the US just supplied um European allies with constant supplies and, and yeah. aid. But instead of weapons, supplies and aid, we would probably provide them economic aid yeah. to get their economy going. And then we would have a US UK new um brand new trade agreement. So oh. I think yeah. if if, you know, they don't see a positive GDP growth in any of the next future years. Yeah, for sure. No, that makes sense. And so I think for the UK, I think we could sum this one up that it's it's a good start. Yeah, and it's important steps to building be building their economy with a negative one point four percent something like GDP growth, which is negative. Yeah, good. somewhere between negative oh zero point seven percent to negative one point four. Yeah, somewhere around something there. Like that. Um and. It'll be cool because well we're going to London next next Friday yeah and so yeah. we kind of get to see what's going on yeah. and see it all that would which be is really that would cool. be impressive to see what's going on there yeah and the UK could have easily before they even decided to go ahead with Brexit they should have really thought about um what economic trade deals they could do with the EU before they even initiated Brexit it was kind of just like they were so into getting out of the EU. That they just didn't have time to think like, 
what would happen next? What can we do for our economy? Because these trade deals are important. And if they maintain the integrity and created economic trade deals with the EU before uh, Brexit went ahead, I'm sure some of all this would have been mitigated. Oh, yeah, definitely. It would have uh, would have changed their course, at least, from being in this horrible economic situation on an average of 1% GDP growth since Brexit and then negative for the for all the G7 countries. They're the only negative GDP growth this year. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's that's all I have for, yeah. um, for that. Yeah, for sure. So, Do you have anything else? No. Nah. The next one, the next one, we were, like, sitting there thinking about it, and I was like, there can't be that much. There is. Uh, <laughs> A lot more. Politi- political turmoil uh, in the Philippines. Um, I put in parentheses on my notes, corruption, and that's corruption the only way to describe the Philippines. Uh, for some statistics... Philippines ranks 116th in the latest corruption CPI index, again, 2022 and 23, out of 180 countries. Not all. That's not even all the countries in the UN, and they're 116th uh, in the world. Whew, all right, yeah. there's, there's a lot here. Uh, yeah, like you said, corruption is just rampant. Uh, it's rampant through vote buying, paying off officials, so on and so forth. Their justice system is terrible. People don't have the money to protect themselves, which is ridiculous because you need money to protect yourself in the judicial system in the Philippines. <laughs> yeah. So um, ease of doing business is difficult in the Philippines unless you got money. money. <laughs> Those who pay the government can make growing their own businesses easier because money gives them the connections. And, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a lack of effective laws to curb political dynasties, corruption, political opportunism, so on and so forth. There's a lack of political will to formula uh, to formulate land reforms, provide more social services, reform the judicial branch, support local businesses, and get rid of corruption overall. Government policy um, right now is too much foreign policy based and too much globalization based, and they're not focused on solving their internal issues first, which causes them to rely a lot on foreign direct investment. Dependence on foreign entrepreneurs to provide goods and services um, to the country. And I can go on and on about the political issues yeah. going uh, on in there. Every every time, like, since I've been, me and him have been to Japan, every time I, I, I see something about Asia, it just makes me want to learn more, more, and more about it. There's so much interesting topics in Asia. And first thing I want to say is, like, after... The one thing I usually do when I see something about like corruption in research is I look at the country. I just just look at pictures. The Philippines is gorgeous. Right. They've got massive cities, beautiful, beautiful rural areas, and then I read that they're got from they have some of the worst corruption at the political level, large organized crime, and even petty crime. Which usually when you hear like when usually where there's a lack. Petty crime is organized crime. Or if there's a lack of organized crime, there's petty crime right. in, a, in a country. The United States is the only country, I believe, in probably like India and China where there's both because they're, they're so vast. Right. And, and so I struggled to look at it because I did my research. And so Ferdinand Marcos Sr., he was a dictator for 14 years, ruled the Philippines under martial law. He was extremely popular though outside of his corruption and towards the end of his career he was extremely popular because he was part of the reason why the philippines is built up he completely put all his money into infrastructure built this country 
massive cities. I mean, their their capital or their largest city is called uh, what is it called? Quezon City. Huge. It's massive. And there's other cities that are big like it too. And their infrastructure is not so bad. But then I look in and the World Bank says that he was accused and suspected of stealing five to ten billion dollars. Jesus That's Christ. so much money. And think about what five to ten billion dollars can do for their social network systems. Because this isn't a small country. This is infrastructure. Yeah. Fixing the judicial system with that money, better courts, fund more lawyers. I mean, there's been such a huge uprising of students in the Philippines to engage in political science and to get into these types of things to try to remove um, the current politicians in there. But it's difficult because of how long the political dynasty has lasted yeah. in the Philippines. No, it's it's bad. The population of the Philippines, by the way, is about 110 million, which for Islands, mostly island countries. That's pretty. It's a lot. Yeah, that's pretty dense. It's a lot. And so, there, I, I saw a statistic that out of every, like, 10 out of every 80 mayors or anyone in political office is related to somebody in another political office. So they're all re- they're all related all to each other. Based. Yeah, it's all family based running, especially in the federal level of the Philippines. There's no checks and balances because if someone gets in trouble at the ma- at the mayoral level, and they call then, up their cousin. Yeah, in, I don't know somewhere else and like, hey, I'm in trouble, please. Yeah, and then they get a scapegoat, and so the, the recent there's going to be an election. Uh, this this year or next year, 2023 or 2024. Didn't just Marcos just enter office though in 2022? Maybe, let me look. His, yeah. his son, his son is uh, Ferdinand Marcus Jr. Yeah, uh, and so he is extremely popular within the Philippines. Extremely popular, right? And which is funny because I saw a study saying that in most countries of where there's a lot of corruption that don't support corruption, if they're family related or tied to corruption they will not vote for them but in the philippines voters did not base their the corruption level of that person off their family because they don't know they they base it on the person itself and what he's done and so he's extremely popular in the philippines and so it's pretty interesting that he even with the corruption that his father had that he can even Get to office in the first place if he is in office. Yeah. And even the current administration in that government has been not so good at handling issues, especially things like corruption. I mean, I could talk about the the drug war campaign in the the Philippines all day. Um, The government anti-drug operation that took place from July 1st of 2016 that just ended on May 31st to uh, May 31st, 2022. And I, the Office of uh, High Commissioner on Human Rights, OHCHR, oh, yeah. was like, they were just dumbfounded on how many human rights violations occurred. I mean, the, the Philippine National Police and Drug Enforcement Agency killed 6.2K individuals in that drug Wow. Group. Hear this. Domestic Human Rights Group believed that this figure is tripled. They stopped counting. <laughs> they stopped counting after a certain amount of... So this is the drug, the drug lords that are it's, killing people. Uh, they, they're killing anyone related to drugs. 
Oh, yeah. so not just like organized crime drugs related stuff, like and people who are doing drugs. No, no, not people who are doing drugs, just uh, the drug drug trafficking. And drug trafficking. People involved in drug trafficking. And that's the government doing that? Yes. Wow. Yeah, so I mean... I mean, that's not like... They said that in this new, with the with the new president's inauguration, he vowed to continue the war against drugs, with the focus on rehabilitation and focus on unlawful use of force by police and government yeah, agents. Yeah, that's interesting. But it, it, this is just one of many examples of mismanagement by the Filipino uh, government administration. Oh, yeah. And, well, there's, there's a big crisis in all of Asia on opioids, um, stemming from, guess who? China. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... So, and that's one of the reasons why we have a big opioid crisis in the United States is we get it a lot, a lot of it from China, which comes through Colombia. Um, the war on drugs and organized crime is huge in Asia as well. I mean, Japan and Hong Kong and Indonesia and the Philippines have large organized crime ranks, mm-hmm. especially due to human trafficking, weapons trafficking, and drug trafficking. And so, you know, I don't necessarily like disagree with the. I disagree with the killing of people. Yeah. I don't disagree with the hard stance on, you know, stopping organized crime, especially drug crime. Yeah, I agree. They did take extreme measures. I mean, they've killed a lot of people between those years to end drug That's trafficking. But I, there could have been different ways to eliminate drug trafficking logistics overall. Yeah. And then focus on capturing the individuals once you cut out the logistics part of it. Even freedom of the press in the Philippines is terrible. Uh, journalists are uh, are considered a threat because they work extremely hard to expose the power abuses of the Filipino government. <laughs> so what they do is they just shut them out. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Leave or I'm going to arrest you. Yeah. So It really makes you uh, love the United States more and more every day. When I know. You, when you get to see these countries and how they operate because, I mean, freedom of the press is so important here to us. And one of the reasons, obviously, because Britain tried to suppress us in the 1700s and 1600s. but in so many countries, especially in Asia, the press is not the same because you know they're they're leaders, and this is this was very um, big in, to- in in Japan is that like they're they're not just leaders they're like gods right they're not just political figures and so to a lot of regular people I mean they could be very popular very very important people in your life the political figures and then. You could see them exposed, and then all of a sudden they lose their voting base, and so that makes sense why they're so hard. Um, but yeah, f- freedom of the press is not the same as it is uh, even in Europe. I mean, Europe's gotten so much better with um, opening up their press, but oh, yeah. yeah, the corruption in this in the Philippines is something I think I believe the United States should get involved in, considering we, we did kind of you know screw them up a little bit post World War Two. When we, we took that from Japan. Even the U.S. on the outside, they're like, what the hell are you doing? Because yeah. the Philippines is so divided. This administration is so divided between having China, opening up trade with China, while also trying to open up trade with the United States. And both the U.S. and China are like, well... Who, who do you want? Who, who do you want? And the, the Philippines is just, they're like, oh, I, I don't know, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> so even the U.S. is just like looking at this like, there's corruption. Your your drug problem is terrible. Like, how? Where do we even start with you guys? And yeah. they could be an entire. They are. They're part of ASEAN, right? Before yeah, they are. Philippines. Yeah. They, if they were to develop, eliminate corruption, and open trade with the U.S., they would be such a strategic trading partner and such a military, a, a military strategic advantage and an economic strategic advantage as well. 
if the Philippines were just to el eliminate corruption and focus on economic ties with the United States and um, ASEAN, uh, ASEAN countries. So well, it's funny you say that because I remember reading last night that Philippines they have a security pact with the United States, I believe. In, did, was that recent? Yeah, I, I, I believe it was like agreed last to... year. The Mutual Defense Treaty. Oh, no, that's not it. <laughs> Uh, I believe that was recent. Now that yeah, I'm thinking, October seventh, twenty twenty-two. There we go. They 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 have a new security like uh, cooperation with the Philippines, mm. and they've they've had one for a while. Um, and and I think President Biden was just kind of uh, reiterating that. Yeah. He he kind of saw the strategic military advantage of parking our boats in the Philippines, but we have so many military. I'm bases sure there. he is just like I'm As not well dealing with all that, like. I yeah. believe the Biden administration just does not want to be involved with trying to solve how rampant corruption is, which is kind of sad, which the U.S., you know, goes ahead and spreads democracy. And we should have a more direct role in trying to support the Philippines and getting and eliminating corruption overall because we could be such a strong ally with the Philippines, not just militarily, which, yeah, I believe the U.S. is uh, missing out on that benefit. I mean, even the entire if the U.N. in general. Or like any or international organization, we're just a step in, right? Yeah. And just take a direct approach. Like, listen, regardless of whatever government you have, you are corrupt, and we need to fix this. That yeah. would be, that would be impressive. It would be. It would be a, a strong move. The the issue with I was going to talk about ASEAN getting involved. Okay. But then I realized that they're the second most powerful country in ASEAN, Indonesia being the first, and so that. It would be pretty difficult and it could cause a lot of tensions in ASEAN if Indonesia and the rest of the countries are like, hey, let's fix your problems. But then the Philippines can just be like, well, what about Myanmar? Yeah. Like, come on, Myanmar is going in shambles. And then they'd look back at Indonesia and be like, hey, you know, you guys are corrupt too. You guys have horrible, horrible weapons trading um, and organized crimes in Indonesia. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of things going on in, in that region right now. Um. Those governments, even though they've grown so much since the 60s, they haven't solved political corruption as of yet. Uh, hopefully they will soon. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, and, 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 if I, and like we were talking about uh, in, in this most recent episode about uh, how the United States needs to strengthen its relationship with Eastern Asia, uh, Japan and South Korea, they're you know, massive countries. They can get involved and say, hey. They can, you know. Let's let's try to help you out. We we'll, we'll give you aid, you know, security forces, you know, create new economic deals, and then it could change that, you know, change maybe change the way that the Philippines works with the rest of the world too. Yeah, that's all I have to say for the Philippines yeah. situation. Do you no, have for sure. Sad final remarks. I don't have yeah. anything else to say. I mean, it's just corruption, corruption, corruption. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic uh, and an interesting place where I think I would ex have expected the the least amount of issues for a country that size. Um, I, I wasn't expecting to see this much corruption. No, I was pretty shocked when I had this. I was talking to one of my friends out of the Philippines, and she told me about how bad the corruption was, and. I thought it was just like light level corruption, yeah. but then at the more digging I was doing into into the corruption in the Philippines, I was just blown away. I was just like, "Holy!" Like uh, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's it's a sad. I hope the new generation of the Philippines can try to reverse the at least try to remove 
um the family dynasties and get them out. Yeah. Family dynasty is probably one of the main reasons that corruption occurs. It's got to be one of the last countries in the world too that has family. So like especially in terms of like developed they're they're almost a developed country they're a massive yeah. population like they've got to be one of the last last countries that like that that have a family dynasties tied to their politics yeah um yeah. i mean that's pretty much it uh thank you for listening into the, our uh, latest global developments and uh we will see you in the next episode yeah see you guys